Good morning, Gospel Life Church and all those who are joining us online. We are so excited that you've chosen to study God's Word with us today, and uh, we hope that it will be a blessing to you. Today, we're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to read our text in just a moment. But just as a reminder, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, a church that he has never visited. He's writing to them from prison and uh, having heard about their faith, probably from Epaphras. And uh, so now he wants to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. And that, that faith would overflow in a thankfulness to God for all that God has done for them. And in turn, uh, their lives overflow in love and good works as well. And so here we are in verse 24, having looked at uh, the glorious person of Jesus Christ and all that he's accomplished, both his, in redemption and in reconciliation. And uh, now we come to verse 24, where it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me from you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity today to look into your word. I pray that it would be a blessing to us. It would, it would be a reminder to us of your great work uh, through the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we, we have found um our redemption and our reconciliation, the forgiveness of sin, and the hope of glory, of eternal life. Because of his death and his resurrection and our, our trust in it and our turning from our sins, we have hope. Lord, I pray that you would, you would use your word not only in our lives, but also in the lives of each of the church churches that, that are preaching it faithfully. Uh, we pray for uh, specifically our, our church uh, that we support in Lubumbashi in the Congo, New Life Church, and our missionaries there, the Curtises. Uh, we pray for their church as they seek to continue to, to try to, to wisely gather during this time of this epidemic. Pray for the leadership, Pastor Seth and of Teo and, and others there, that you would give them wisdom. We pray for our missionaries and their, their, their furlough plans and how that, that has had to change. We pray that you continue to give them wisdom as they seek to figure out what is the best way forward. Lord, we don't just pray for churches there. We pray for the churches here as well. Uh, Lord, uh, I ask that you would continue to uh, give uh, grace to uh, those churches that we have connection with. And I want to pray for uh, Faith Bible Church and Pastor Bob, Pastor Kevin, and uh, those that are there as they open your word today, that you would give uh, grace to them. We pray for uh, Ridgewood uh, Baptist, and we pray for uh, their pastor there and, and all those that are gathering, uh, probably virtually, that you would just give grace to them today as they 
study your word. We pray for uh, our government as well, along with our churches. We pray for our government that you would give them wisdom and courage as they continue to seek to, to care for us during this um, epidemic. We, we pray for uh, our church that you would continue to give us wisdom and care. Help us to be uh, your hands and feet in caring for those that are around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as we look at our text, our main point is this. You are to live in thankfulness to God because of the gospel sacrifices made for your good. Today, as we look at our text, we can see uh, this idea of gospel sacrifice, both in the first verse in our text there in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then uh, all the way to the end of verse 29, for in this I toil, struggling with all his energy. This idea of suffering, of toiling, of struggling has this concept of sacrifice involved in it. And yes, it's a sacrifice made for the good of others, specifically for the good of the church, so that the church might know the word and might mature in Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we do, I just want to make some clarification and, and clarify kind of what's going on in verse 24. Verse 24, uh, Paul writes that in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And this, this idea has been, uh, been definitely taken out of context and used inappropriately um, by uh, different people throughout church history. And I would affirm that we stand with the early church fathers and with the reformers on this text, especially in opposition to uh, a Roman Catholic understanding of the text, the idea of, uh, of this helping to prove um, the doctrine of indulgences, and that there's this treasury of the church that exists, which includes the blood of Jesus and the blood of the martyrs and the prayers and the good works of the saints, and that that is all stored up in order to expiate or atone for sin. And so indulgences are the means by which we access that treasury and therefore have our sins atoned for. And that somehow Paul here is referring to him filling up what is lacking in the atoning sacrifice of Christ, and this we would deny. I do not believe that that's what Paul is referring to here. Rather, Paul's ministry is not the redeeming ministry that is Christ's ministry. It's not the forgiveness of sin. It's not the reconciliation. In fact, he just has gone over that, that the beloved son is the redeemer and that the beloved son is the reconciler of all in his body of flesh by his death. He is the one that presents people holy and blameless and above reproach. Paul's ministry has rather been clear in verse 23. It is the proclamation of the gospel. That's what he's become a minister of. Or in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I mean, that is the point of why he is he, why he is suffering and what he is filling up that is lacking in Christ's affliction has nothing to do with the expiation of sin, but rather has to do with the furtherance of the gospel message. In Calvin's Institutes, he gives us some, some examples of the, the view of the early church fathers, whether it's Leo, who was the bishop of Rome from uh, 440 AD to 461 AD, who wrote this, 
that although the death of many saints was precious in the sight of the Lord, quoting Psalm 116, 15, yet no innocent man's slaughter was the propitiation of the world. The just received crowns, but did not give them. And the fortitude of believers produced examples of patience, not gifts of righteousness. For their deaths were for themselves, and none by his final end paid the debt of another, except Christ our Lord, in whom alone all are crucified, all dead, buried, and raised up. Or as Augustine wrote in his tract on John, Although brethren die for brethren, yet no martyr's blood is shed for the remission of sin. This Christ did for us, and in this confer upon us not what we should imitate, but what should make us grateful. Or, uh, as another church father wrote, as, as Calvin quotes here, as he alone became the Son of God and the Son of Man, that he might make us to be with himself sons of God, so he alone, without any ill desert, undertook the penalty for us, that through him we might, without good desert, obtain undeserved favor. Calvin goes on to say, indeed, as their whole doctrine is a patchwork of sacrilege and blasphemy, speaking of the Roman Catholic doctrine, this is the most blasphemous of the whole. Let them acknowledge whether or not they hold the following dogmas, that the martyrs by their death performed more to God and merited more than was necessary for themselves, and that they have a large surplus of merit which may be applied to others, that in order that this great good may not prove superfluous, superfluous, their blood is mingled with the blood of Christ, and out of both is formed the treasury of the church for the forgiveness and satisfaction of sins. And that in this sense, we must understand the words of Paul in Colossians 1.24. What is this, Calvin goes on to say, but merely to leave the name of Christ and at the same time to make him a vulgar saintling, who can scarcely be distinguished in the crowd. He, Christ, alone ought to be preached, alone held forth, alone named, alone looked to, whenever the subject considered is the obtaining of the forgiveness of sins, expiation, and sanctification. Uh, we stand with Calvin and, and Augustine, early church fathers, with, with the canon of Dort in Article 2.3 that says, the death of the Son of God is the only and most perfect sacrifice and satisfaction for sin. It is of infinite worth and value, abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. I mean, what this is saying, what these men are saying, what this, what, what this article is saying is that no one can add anything the blood of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the worth of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ lacks nothing. It is abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. And in turn, when we have preached over the last few Sundays the, the, the idea of Jesus Christ and his redeeming work and his reconciling work, we have said that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
And so we cannot take verse 24 here and try to make it mean in some way, in, in any way, that somehow that Paul is, is adding his goodness or his merit to the work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. That is not the case at all. Paul does not have some Pelagian or semi-Pelagian view of some innate goodness in humanity that can somehow add to the work of Jesus Christ. Rather, what is he saying? I am sacrificing for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel so that you might know, whether it's in Colossae, whether it's in Rome, whether it's in Antioch, wherever it is in the known world at Paul's time, so that you might know that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. All oh, this verse, if it means what the Roman Catholic thinks it means, it is being wrenched out of its context. And that is not the case. So we must understand, we must understand that our salvation is in Christ alone. Uh, that leads me to our first question for our text. With that clarification in mind, let's go ahead and tackle what's going on here. First question is this, why should we sacrifice for the gospel? Well, the first thing is so that the church might fully know God's word. Here, Paul says, I am suffering. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Why? For the sake of the church... Verse 25, at the very end, to make the word of God fully known. That's why, that's why Paul was willing to suffer all that he suffers. We can read about it in, in the, the book of Acts, the history of how Paul and his suffering. In 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11, where it talks about Paul's different sufferings as he's beaten, as he is um as he is put in chains, as he is jailed, as, as he is shipwrecked. As, as he goes hungry sometimes, all these things are so that the word of God might be fully known. And what does he say here about that word that is a mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed? And what has been revealed? That Christ is in you, this unit uniting with Christ and his death and resurrection, that we can have salvation in him, that we can be redeemed and reconciled and therefore united with him. And this is the, this is the hope of the gospel, that we might be united in Christ and that he might, he might bring us back to God. And yet there's an aspect here as well that is connected to that uniting with Christ. And, and I believe that was Part of the history of the Old Testament, they're waiting the Messiah that would bring that kind of unity and that kind of reconciliation with God that the, the, the sacrifice of the lambs and the goats and the bulls and the rams could not do. But so, so what is this mystery then? It's that this uniting with Christ includes the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Oh, truly, the Jews understood that they are going to be united with Christ if they understood their Old Testament text correctly. They would be reconciled with God in, in this, this perfect sense that, that, that their sacrifices could not do before. And, and 
they don't deny the fact that that was going to be a blessing to all the nations. I mean, that was promised with to Abraham in his covenant. And, and yet what we read here is not just that the nations are blessed, but the nations actually are united with Christ in the same way that a Jew was to be united with Christ. And that's the, the riches of the glory of this mystery of Christ in you is given not just to the Jews, but to the non-Jews as well, so that there is no division among them. There is no difference between Jew and non-Jew, between Jew and Gentile, but that they are all one in Christ. That truly they experience the same riches of glory as the Jews experience. So the church might fully know God's word that salvation is in Christ, but also so that the church might be mature in Christ. And that's what we see at the end of verse 28. What is the what is the goal? Why would we sacrifice for the gospel? So that the word of God might be fully known, but so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. That there is this responsibility that believers have, that Paul feels, but in turn that we should feel as well, a responsibility to and for one another. And therefore, that causes Paul to do what? To proclaim Jesus Christ, it says in verse 28, to warn everyone and to teach everyone so that they might be presented as mature. Now, mature has this idea, uh, it's helpful to think about the, us maturing as human beings. So we start out little babies, we need lots of help, lots of care. I got some little babies in my house right now, now they need lots of help, lots of care, and uh, it takes time, and so we spend the time with them, and you gradually start to grow older, and they start to mature, and and they grow into adulthood. I've got, I've got some kids that are on the precipice of adulthood right now. Uh, they're young adults, definitely. And uh, so I'm kind of in both those stages right now of life. It's very, very odd. And so we're trying to help them mature, make wise choices, live as adults. And so in turn, what is this mature in Christ? Live Christ-like lives. Live lives that reflect what Christ has done in us. I mean, that's what we're all striving for as Christians, to grow up into this maturity. And it's a responsibility that each believer should feel towards one another and for one another, that we would help one another in this. And in turn, that is why we would live sacrificial lives for the gospel, so that the gospel would spread and so that people would grow into maturity in Christ. I mean, that starts with them hearing the gospel, believing the gospel. If you're, if you're listening today and, and, and you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have not turned from your sins, hear the gospel message today that God is holy and they created us to, to live for him, to enjoy him, to know him, to glorify him. But in turn, we rebelled in our sinfulness. We turned away from him. In our sinfulness, we sought our own way. And in turn, a holy and righteous God must judge our sin. And that judgment is eternal death, eternal separation from him, eternal punishment. That's the only payment that exists for our sins that we can, that we can give. But God in his love sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that he might take that punishment on himself. And in turn, if we would but trust in him, we might have eternal life. 
redeemed, our sins forgiven. I mean, that's what we looked at in verse 13, that, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the one who reconciles us to God. In fact, when Jesus was on earth, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's our desire is that that word might be known and that that word might bring, bring someone to faith, to belief and trust in Jesus Christ, and then to maturity in Christ. So we see here why we should sacrifice for the gospel. But the second question is, how should we sacrifice for the gospel? Paul gives us an example of here of how we should live lives sacrificially for the gospel. And the first thing we can see here is that he does so for the church. And that's to say, it's not about you. It's not about me. It wasn't about Paul. It was for the church to give himself for God's family. And you do for family. And so Paul is willing to give of himself so that the family might flourish. flourish. Um, it is the body of Christ with Christ as the head, as we looked at previously in this chapter. And so for the good of the head, for the glory of the head, you want the, the, the strongest, most capable body possible. And so Paul is one part of the body is giving himself so that the body might function and be mature. It's the bride of Christ so that she might be presented pure and blameless for her bridegroom. It is God's field so that it might be cleared of its weeds, of its rocks, and so that it might the, 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 each stalk of that field might grow up strong and produce fruit. It is God's building built upon the foundation uh, of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, and then each of us being living stones of that building, and each each stone needs to be strong so that it can hold up other stones. We are meant to not be concerned about ourselves, but to give ourselves for the church, for the good of one another. Not just, and when I say church, it's not just the institution of church, although we can't deny that there's an institutional nature to it, but it's it's those that build up the church, that make up the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our lives are meant to be used for their good, sacrificed for their good. Not only that, we read here, verse 24, that Paul says he suffers for your sake in my flesh. In our flesh, in your flesh. What he's saying is in my body. While I'm still here in the body, I am giving of myself. And I, I think what we can take from that is now is the time to sacrifice. I think it, it, it is it is easy for us to think, well, one day we will. One day it'll be the right time to sacrifice. Well, one of these days I'll get to that. But we don't know how much time we have in this body. Today, right now is the time for us to give ourselves for the furtherance of the gospel, for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 29, we read, he says, I toil and struggle for this. And so that leads us to see that we should sacrifice with personal toil and struggle. That we need to be active. Each of us needs to make choices. And those choices can often be costly, but that we are willing to give of ourselves 
This is not us passively waiting for something outside of ourselves to force us into to living sacrificially. Rather, it's us stepping up and stepping into the battle. I mean, the Christian life is a good battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spirits of the air. This is a spiritual war that we are in. And, and when you think about war, you know, uh, sometimes we want to equate our spiritual life to a football game or something. And I think there's some of us who are content to sit on the bench. But in a battle, there is no bench for people to sit. You're, you're in the battle, or, or, or maybe you're the, you're, you're the guys who are, are right behind the front line and you're ready to jump in and, and, and you're pumped and ready to go and you're giving support to those who are going forward. Maybe you're called to be right on the front line and, and what are you going to do there? You can't go, well, I'm not quite ready for this yet. On battle, you've got to fight. We have to toil, struggle. It's something that we have to actively participate in. But then we read in verse 29, encouragingly, with empowerment by Jesus Christ. Our toil, our personal toil, our personal struggle, our active, our activity within the battle of, of the Christian life is empowered by Jesus Christ. First of all, we can understand that in the sense that the call to live the Christian life is impossible apart from the life that is given to us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him, it is impossible to do unless we have died with Christ and risen to his new life. And now it is Christ living in me and through me. And yet we need to understand as well that we don't all of a sudden become robots where the little Christ comes, sits in our head and works the controls and we're not doing anything. No, it's this, it's this, you unique combination between our personal toil and struggle, our choices, our activity, our work being done, and yet Christ empowering us to do it. It is his new life, his strength that is flowing through us so that we can do the job he has called us to do. And then I left this one for the last, but it really is right at the beginning, verse 29, where Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings with rejoicing rejoicing for the opportunity to be used by God to further his gospel to further his ministry his kingdom to be used for the building up and strengthening of his church and of his people this is something that that we don't have any right to be involved in we were sinners we deserve death and destruction and eternal damnation. And yet God has graciously allowed us to participate in the furthering of the gospel and of the strengthening of his people. How glorious. And so in turn, yes, it is sacrifice, but it reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples that no one who sacrifices anything for him will not be rewarded a hundredfold that it's worth every sacrifice when we get to heaven and eternity. We will not regret one thing that we sacrifice for him. Oh, we may regret it now at times when we feel the pain of our sacrifice. I'm sure that Paul had times of doubt and struggle sitting in prison. And yet what we read from him is this overwhelming joy in the opportunity to give of himself 
for his Savior and his King. To give of himself so that others might know the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and might bring glory to the name of our Savior. But not only then to know that, but then to, for them to mature as well. This leads us to number three, connecting to everyday life. I have four, four points here. First of all, express gratitude for a God and a gospel worthy of sacrifice. Our God is the one true God. And he is gloriously holy, unique from anyone else, and yet gloriously good and merciful and loving. The fact that the gospel exists whereby we can be saved. This is worth giving our life to. And then as we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're able to encourage them and strengthen them in their fight. This is worth giving our life. We should be eternally grateful for a God and a gospel worthy of sacrifice. But the second thing, we should express gratitude for past sacrifices. As we think about Paul here and his sacrifice to give out the gospel, what, what benefit do we have from it? Well, most of the New Testament. We have the benefit of most of the New Testament as, as, as a glorious good work that comes from Paul's willing to sacrifice. And in turn, what do we look through throughout the church history? We see this continuing desire not, not to write new, new texts, but to take these texts from the apostle Paul and, and from God's word to the ends of the earth. And one of the ways that we can express gratitude for past sacrifices is read biographies and autobiographies of men and women of the faith who gave of themselves, whether it's Adoniram Judson or, or David Brainerd or, or Patton or, um, or of uh, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, uh, any of these guys Take up an autobiography, read about them and their willingness to give of themselves for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I quoted Augustine. I, I quoted from John Calvin. These are men that you can read upon. Martin Luther, read about their willingness to give of themselves. The past sacrifices that we have been able to benefit from. Sometimes we don't realize how much we have benefited from the past sacrifices until we are confronted with even something like, like the clarification of verse 24. Oh, we have so benefited from the history of the church and the willingness for people to take, take up strong positions of, of interpreting the Bible correctly within its context. I mean, those are things we are benefiting from. Third, encourage and support gospel sacrifice. And we live in a day and age where sacrifice is not always looked upon well. Um, we want an easy life. We want things to be simple. We, we don't want them to be hard. And yet, oftentimes, what it takes to do ministry well is to live sacrificially, to take the gospel to hard places. You know, a lot of people can take uh, the gospel to easy places. Maybe a bunch of people would volunteer. Let's, let's go to the easiest place possible. But the gospel doesn't just need to go to places that are easy. It needs to go to places that are hard. And maybe even more so, it needs to go to places that are hard. We should encourage and support gospel sacrifice. And specifically, as we think about ourselves, our own lives, are we living sacrificially? 
the gospel to go forward here in our area, in our community. We don't have to be sent overseas to live sacrificially. Now, maybe God would have us to do that, and I would pray that you would consider that. And specifically, as we think about our children, like we want to encourage this. You know, I, I think the natural tendency is to, to guard and, and, and try to keep our children safe from sacrifice. But the fact is we need to be training them, readying them, preparing them, maturing them in Christ so that as God calls them to live sacrificially, they say yes. Yes, whatever it takes to bring glory to our God. I mean, that's the kind of mindset we should have. In turn, the fourth thing. Use your life wisely for God in the spread of the gospel. How are you using your life for God in the spread of the gospel right now? God has placed you in the specific position you are in right now. Whatever it is, whether whether you're, you know, you've been living in the same neighborhood for you know all your life, whether you're transitioning to a different neighborhood, wherever you're at, God has put you in that position. He's he's bringing people into your path. He's, he's bringing situations to bear on your life so that you might use the life he's given you for his glory and for the spread of the gospel. And the question is, are you? Are you doing that? Oh, I would pray that that would be the case for each one of us here at Gospel Life Church, and not just us, but every Christian across the globe, that we would be instruments in the Redeemer's hands, that we would be used by him to spread the gospel, to make his word fully known, and then in turn to mature our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this glorious text and the encouragement it is to us, a difficult text in many ways for us who desire comfort, for us who desire uh, to be living an easy life. And yet our rest is not found in those things. It is found in you. And and in fact, the most restful thing we can do is live for you. Even if it means sacrifice, even if it means toil and struggle. Lord, may we see our calling as your people to spread your kingdom, to share your gospel, to make your name great. And may we give of ourselves willingly, rejoicingly, And may we express thankfulness to you for the opportunity to do even that, for it is undeserved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our benediction for May comes from Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, which says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you have any questions or you have any uh, needs, uh, if you'd like prayer, please feel free to contact, contact us. There's a page here at the end of this video that has all our contact information. We'd love to encourage you, answer any questions you have, pray for you. Uh, whatever we can do to help, we would love to do that for you. God bless you.